Cooking with your kids is one of the best ways to encourage them to eat healthy and try new foods. So if you're looking for a holiday gift that isn't a toy and that you can also enjoy together when you're stuck indoors this winter, then the Kids Cook Real Food eCourse is for you. In the course, you'll get more than 30 basic cooking skills, 45 videos, including a ton of bonuses, principal supply and grocery shopping lists, and kid-friendly recipes like veggie bean burritos and spaghetti squash lasagna. The course is designed for all kids ages 2 to teen and has three different skill levels. My kids and I have taken the course, and it was so easy to follow along that my kids made an entire recipe on their own. More than 18,000 families have taken the course, and the Wall Street Journal named it the number one cooking class for kids. If you want your kids to be healthy, adventurous eaters, sign up by going to kidscookrealfood.com slash food issues. And because you're a listener, you'll get a free lesson. Again, go to kidscookrealfood.com slash food issues and sign up. As a busy working mom, I don't have time to run from store to store, especially around the holidays. But with Thrive Market, I don't have to. Thrive Market is an online membership-based market that makes healthy living easy and affordable, and they ship everything to your door. You'll find everything you need for the holidays, including ethical meat, sustainable seafood, clean wine, baking essentials, and snacks for the kids. It's all organic and non-GMO, and members save an average of $32 on every order. They even have curated shopping lists that make holiday prep a breeze. If you join today, you can get 25% off your first order and a free gift. All you have to do is go to thrivemarket.com slash foodissues. And for every paid membership, they give a free membership to a low-income family. So sign up today at thrivemarket.com slash foodissues. This is Food Issues. In every episode, we bring you experts to tackle the real challenges around feeding kids and offer practical insight to help organizations, communities, and parents create change. I'm your host, Julie Revelon. More than 6 million children in the U.S. have been diagnosed with ADHD, and although medications are often necessary, nutrition may be an effective treatment as well. Not all cases are equal. Not everyone has the same degree of symptoms, and I think there are enough people, at least, where we can counsel them about diet, counsel them about what they're doing, teach them other practices that could help. That's Dr. Uma Naidu, a Harvard-trained nutritional psychiatrist, professional chef, nutrition specialist, and author of the national best-selling book, This Is Your Brain on Food. We'll cover what research shows about the role of diet in ADHD, which foods to avoid and which ones to focus on, plus quick and easy tips to pull together healthy meals and snacks every day. Dr. Naidu, welcome to the Food Issues Podcast. Thank you so much, Julie. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, let's start off with your story. Why did you become a nutritional psychiatrist and how do you work with your clients today? You know, I um, came to this field because I had a very strong interest in uh, food, nutrition, just the way I was raised and the family family circumstances I came from. But I also uh, really grew up in a very sort of holistic um, a mindset in my family in terms of yoga, meditation, and many solutions to help 
plus the scientific background. And I realized when I went into psychiatry that there were not enough solutions for patients, that just pulling out a prescription pad was not nearly enough. And when you look at the research around the effectivity of medications, they do not cure or help everyone. Um, In fact, many people still continue to have symptoms. So it really, to me, made sense that there needed to be more tools in the toolbox for individuals to feel better. And so the nexus of my studying and interest in nutrition, uh, which, you know, most people, most doctors don't learn enough of medical school, and my culinary background and my uh, psychiatry training really came together with the opportunity to help people using an integrated, holistic and functional approach uh, to mental, mental health. Yeah. And you brought up a good point. I think that many doctors today, you know, will prescribe a pill as the first line. Why do you think that is even with, with how much we know today about, about the role that nutrition plays in mental health? You know, I don't necessarily think it's deliberate. I think it's how doctors are trained. Uh, We are trained to be able to offer solutions. And unfortunately the solutions we are trained to have are usually in the form of a either testing to make the diagnosis and confirm it, and then how do you cure it or take care of it? And that usually is in the form of a medication. I think the missing uh, gap that nutritional psychiatry fulfills is allowing for more solutions where it, it it can be that someone is taking medication, but it can also be that they're paying attention to their lifestyle and their nutrition to help improve their symptoms. And I also feel like the medical system is based on insurance and payers, and usually physicians are in a position where you know they are crunched for time and expected to see someone in a very short time and expected to prescribe medications, um, which are which are built into uh, how hospitals are reimbursed. So I think there there are many parts of our system that are not perfect. And it is really for the, the consumers, for all of us to be more educated about solutions that we can actually share with our doctors when we go into the office. Right, definitely. And so we've heard about ADHD and, you know, it seems that so many kids today are being diagnosed with it. But what exactly is it and what is going on in the brain? So, you know, simply put, it's, a, it's struggling to focus and attend to tasks. Uh, the feeling that you have lots of uh, information on your desk or say your laptop or um, at school and you cannot pull together the information to focus, to get the tasks done. Um, You are easily distracted by your, say, your surroundings or your circumstances and, you know, uh, tending to be uh, scattered in, in, in how you are trying to address whatever your tasks are. And so that tends to be how individuals present. And often when they present this way, they're often given medications to help with that focus. So it's it's a pretty interesting uh, way to handle it when I think that there could be so much more that we do. Yeah, and can doctors actually see changes in the brain on, say, an MRI, for example? 
Not necessarily. You know, I think that it's it's less, I think, and, 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 and Julie, that's a great question because I think in mental health, one of the things we really do struggle with is having, um, we don't have the kind of tissue diagnosis that other specialties might have. If you have a chest infection or a pneumonia, you know, your doctor can take uh, culture, uh, they, can, they can do different tests and give you the appropriate antibiotic to treat it. Psychiatry is not that way. You know, DSM-5 is based on checklists, and many people do not fall into a checklist. So I think that that becomes really important in, in, how, in how we understand things. Right. And ADHD can also have a lot of variability. Is that right? You know, I, I'd read that it can really show up as hyper-focus as well. Yes, it can show up in many, uh, many different form, forms. And, you know, someone struggling to... Um, uh, struggling to gather their tasks and pay, you know, pay attention to what they're doing can, can also present that way. Why are so many kids, it seems, are being diagnosed with it? You know, I, I feel that one of, one of the underlying factors is our food system. Um, I think it's how we're eating. It's not the only factor. Um, I think modern lifestyle the family structure, the way in which we learn, study, live our lives, all of that has evolved over time. But one of the things I do look at is the industrialization of food and how we've been eating and what, what, what children are being fed um, and what we're all eating. So all of that definitely plays an impact in brain development, in um, how, uh, how, you know, as a, as a child is growing, their brain is developing along with them. And I feel that nutrition is a huge, creates a huge impact on that. Yeah. And so you did talk about medication and oftentimes kids are prescribed medication when they receive the ADHD diagnosis. How do you feel about that? Do you think that the doctors are too quick to go that route? I think that, uh, I think that there could be two sides to that argument. On the one hand, a parent brings in a child who is struggling at school maybe unable to focus, stay on task, and the ADHD medications work very effectively and very fast. So in a certain sector of individuals, these medications really help them function and be able to go to school, be able to finish college, um, and, and really uh, it, it changes their um, abilities that they've been struggling with. So that's one side of it. Are physicians too quick to prescribe? I think that it goes back to what I said earlier. We're sort of trained in the system. Someone comes in with a problem. We pull out our prescription pad after we speak with them. And that applies to all specialties, not just psychiatry. So I think in that case, there could be steps that a psychiatrist or a prescriber speaks to the patient and family about before just pulling out the prescription pad, because not all cases are equal. Not everyone has the same degree of uh, symptoms. And I think there are enough people, at least, where we can counsel them about diet, counsel them about what they're doing, teach them other practices that could help uh, to, to kind of center them and help with their focus. Great. So we're going to take a break. And when we get back, we're going to talk a little bit more about the role that diet can play for kids who have ADHD. 
The holiday season is in full swing, and I bet you're already planning family gatherings, holiday parties, and cookie recipes with your kids. But with everything that has to get done, you don't have hours to spend in the kitchen. That's why I love using my Vitamix. When I received it as a Christmas present a few years ago, I admit I was skeptical because I already had a blender. But the first time I used it, I was hooked. Vitamix is known for making the best smoothies, but it can do so much more. You can use it to make holiday cookies, desserts and cocktails, side dishes, dressings and marinades, even peppermint hot chocolate and eggnog. Vitamix has been around for 70 years and all of their blenders are powerful, durable and built to last and come with a full warranty. To get free shipping off any Vitamix purchase over $50, just go to my website, julierevelant.com slash shop and click on Vitamix. So Dr. Naidu, let's talk about diet and, and can it work in place of medication and or therapy for kids with ADHD? I think there's always a place for good nutrition. Um, I don't feel that nutrition needs to replace medications. If anything, it can work in collaboration with medications. If someone has been prescribed a medication and maybe the symptoms are also improving. However, I think we need to almost look at it as being an adjunctive form of care. Um, Because like I said, there are individuals who might heavily depend on a medication to help, say, test taking or focus in school. So I think it's a careful deliberation of that physician between can the patient function or can they go to other methods of helping them out. And if they were to look at just the nutritional element, then cleaning up the diet is first and foremost. What is the child or the adult with ADHD eating? Are they leaning heavily on a processed foods, packaged foods diet, frozen dinners, um, you know, processed vegetable oils, a lot of artificial sweeteners, um, and and sort of junk foods. Um, or And if they are, can we start to tweak what they're eating and move towards healthier whole foods? Things like adding in polyphenols. Research indicates that the brain, um, brain development of individuals with ADHD may be more prone to oxidative damage. So that would involve things like aging and inflammation, but consuming um, antioxidants would really benefit that. So polyphenols are naturally occurring plant nutrients and serve as powerful antioxidants. So including those uh, sources like blueberries, blackberries, raspberries, eggplant, uh, kale, um, eating the color of the rainbow, very important. Um, Another category is vitamin C rich foods. We always think about vitamin C in terms of immunity, but actually research has shown that vitamin C-rich foods can decrease hyperactivity in children. And some important sources of vitamin C are things like red bell peppers and kiwi fruit, as well as citrus fruit. So there's another category, and and there are several others. But, you know, those those are some of the go-tos that you where you want to start after cleaning up the diet and removing colorants, dyes, and, and processed ingredients as much as you can. Other nutrients that are known to be important are zinc and iron. They play an important role in the brain of an individual with ADHD. Uh, zinc and iron are essential to neurotransmitter production. Zinc modulates the reward uh, pathways in the brain which govern focused activity. 
So, you know, and a 2021 uh, systematic review uh, notes a relationship between low zinc status and ADHD symptoms. So it's easy to include foods like nuts and shellfish, and iron can be obtained from things like beans and lentils and dark leafy greens, um, something that, you know, you can encourage uh, into uh, a children's diet. Um, and then the things like magnesium. So magnesium is key, omega-3 fatty acids, fermented foods, and the list goes on. But certainly there's a place to start when working with someone and improving their uh, symptoms by using food. Yeah, and so you did talk about the nutritional deficiencies that can be linked to ADHD. And so how does a parent go about figuring out if their kid has one of those deficiencies? You know, one of the ways to do that is for the parent to be informed and to go in and then speak to the physician about having the child tested, say it's a vitamin deficiency, or say they're deficient in a certain electrolyte, or they're lacking iron. Um, those are things which, which the physician can test. I think what, is, what happens is that nutritional psychiatry is newer, and so physicians are not necessarily looking, for, uh, looking to do those tests and replace it with food they more often are going to pull out a prescription pad and give a patient uh, a medication for ADHD than go to the foods first. And I think it'll, it'll take some time in the, in, the, um, in, in, a, in the medical system to alter that thinking. Um, but I feel like if parents are informed, they could very easily be helping to adjust the child's diet. These, we are talking about foods. We're not talking about giving the child a supplement for any of these. They could improve, say, uh, uh, eating fatty fish like salmon, um, sardines, uh, anchovies, including that in some way into the child's diet, including plant-based sources of omega-3s, walnuts, chia seeds, flax seeds. Um, you know, they could start to include or get the child used to eating fermented foods as part of whatever else they're eating. All of these things can be done through dietary means and perhaps, you know, educating Parents is one way to help uh, the treatment of the child. Yeah, that's a great point. And you brought up fermented food. So what does research tell us about gut health and its link to ADHD? Right. So, you know, where fermented foods come in is that a recent study in Cell, a very reputable journal and done by researchers at Stanford University, found that fermented foods help to reduce inflammation. Now, this is very significant because inflammation in the gut microbiome is often what leads to an uptick of these symptoms. So eating fermented foods actually help, helps to temper down that inflammation. And the inflammation could be caused by diet, stress, so many different factors. But for the purposes of this discussion, it could be an unhealthy eating pattern that has led to dysbiosis or an imbalance in the gut microbiome and where the microbes, the uh, bad microbes are, are being fed with, you know, the processed foods, the junk foods, the fast foods, they start to take over the environment of the gut and you have a setup for inflammation in the gut. Inflammation in many studies is now really being seen as the underlying factor that is causing symptoms and conditions like depression, anxiety, ADHD, cognitive problems, and more. And that's where food becomes an important part of changing that conversation to better address the inflammation. 
Yeah, I've tried myself to get fermented foods, more fermented foods in my kids' diet. So we'll do um, fermented pickles. We do a little bit of miso. Any tips for parents to to try to incorporate fermented foods in their kids' diet? Because it can be kind of a hard sell for them. Absolutely. Um, in my book, uh, Chapter 11 has recipes. And I have recipe for miso sweet potatoes. Um, and that's a, a great one because when you actually roast up the sweet potatoes and you can use the miso paste uh, marinade that I created for any veggie, it doesn't have to be sweet potatoes, you can use it for glazing salmon or chicken. And so that's, that's one way to incorporate it. Um, another way is to get them used to eating different foods early on. Um, you know, and if they like the flavor of, of say, sauerkraut, just make sure if you're buying fermented foods to get them from the refrigerated section because that's important in terms of the fermentation process. Um, and another one could be something like kombucha where it's a drink and, you know, you might be able to get them used to drinking something slightly different. They don't have to have a lot of it. Make sure there's no, not a ton of added sugar. But, you know, there might be other ways to, to start bringing in those foods. And with um, you can actually get uh, it's the same thing with with yogurts, uh, dairy based yogurts. You know, you can get the unflavored, uh, unsweetened kefir. And because it has that sour taste, you might be able to add cinnamon and berries and maybe mix that into a smoothie for them. That's a really good way to get in um, berries for the antioxidants and polyphenols, uh, sweeten up that kefir without adding sugar and uh, give it to them as a little, make it a smoothie. You know, so it's about repurposing the ingredient so it is, is fun for them. Yeah, I love that that miso recipe. That sounds delicious. I'm going to try that. <laughs> and, and so food allergies and food sensitivities, you know, we hear a lot about that recently as well. And so can that, can those two conditions make ADHD symptoms worse? That's what I'm finding clinically, um, that there does seem to be this trend. Um, and, you know, I... I have to wonder about how the association will will pan out. And I think paying attention to those symptoms becomes really important. Yeah. And are there foods that kids with ADHD should avoid, like artificial additives, food dyes, preservatives? We, we talked about ultra-processed foods. Yeah, absolutely. So there's definitely correlation between those refined and added sugars. Um, also, colorants, dyes, food stabilizers. Um, and those being sort of omitted or cut back on in the diet is definitely um, something that's extremely, uh, has been found to be extremely beneficial. Yeah. And is there anything that parents should keep in mind when they're feeding their kids, when they're trying to overhaul their diet? I think starting slow, starting small and building from there. You, you can't take a child, uh, and I'm not, not saying that this is a child situation, you cannot take a child who's eating chicken nuggets and fast food, French fries and milkshakes to a completely healthy diet the next day. But you can start introducing things like healthy habits, including those polyphenol-rich fruit every day, starting to get them used to a smoothie made with kefir, uh, starting to introduce them to new foods and, you know, allow them to see what they like so you can continue that as, you know, maybe they like the miso glazed potatoes. So that's part of your Part of your um, repertoire of recipes for that week, or they, you know, they they like that taste of miso, and you can put it on other vegetables. And if they eat meat, um, 
pieces of, 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 say, something that you oven bake as well. But most importantly, don't overwhelm the situation by trying to change everything at once. Start to clean up the diet while you start including healthier options for them. Yeah. And I think also that it's really important for parents to change the way they eat as well and lead by example, because your kids just aren't going to do it if, if you're not doing it yourself. Absolutely. I'm a huge believer that children learn by example and that part of what I talk about is, you know, meal prep and involving children in meal prep. So maybe your meal prep day and your batch cooking day is a Wednesday or maybe it's a Sunday. But, you know, having them help with washing veggies or cleaning something um, it makes them part of that process. They're touching, feeling and seeing whole healthy foods. They're not seeing you take out frozen foods meaning a frozen dinner or frozen pizza. They're not seeing you do that type of stuff. And that makes them part of the process, but it also educates them. Um, and I think that that, that is, you know, is, is very, uh, very much a part of how we can start to do things differently as, you know, as a society. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to take a break. And when we get back, we're going to talk a little bit more about other ways that parents can support their kids. If you have picky eaters, you're not alone. And as a mom of two, I totally get it. But through the years as both a journalist and a mom, I've discovered the secrets to raising kids who love their veggies and will eat just about anything. And I want to share what I've learned with you in my free ebook, 15 Secrets to Raise Healthy Eaters and Put an End to Picky Eating. This book is filled with evidence-based real-life strategies that will help you raise healthy eaters without sneaking foods, bribing, negotiating, or making food into art projects. To get the book, just go to julierevelant.com and click on freebies. So Dr. Nadu, what about, you did talk about, you know, not necessarily giving kids supplements, but are there supplements that you often recommend or parents can try with their kids if they have ADHD? Um, absolutely. So, you know, there are certain um, herbs and vitamins that are rich in things like uh, L-theanine, which traditionally is found in green tea. Um, that actually heightens focus, helps with a feeling of calmness. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's, that's a possible supplement. Um, and, you know, vitamin C, if needed, as a supplement, zinc and iron can be supplemented, as, as would magnesium. Omega-3 fats can all be found in supplements. But like I said at the outset, you know, the idea is food first. And if we can do it through cleaning up the diet and adding in these healthy foods, that really would be ideal for the child. Yeah. And do you recommend that parents eliminate or try to eliminate uh, gluten, dairy, you know, I, I'm much more of an inclusive than um, sort of an, an inclusive uh, nutritional psychiatrist than uh, someone who excludes and eliminates food. So it really depends on the symptoms and the condition that the child has. In certain situations, for example, gluten, um, eating gluten has an association with an uptick of anxiety. It's a situation where we might want to look at that if we've tried many things and they're still still the individual is struggling with anxiety. There are other conditions where gluten could be problematic. Um, so it's much more about looking at the individual case because we know from the research around the gut microbiome 
that our gut microbiome is much like a thumbprint. So what affects you is not going to be the same as what affects me. So it's really much more personalized treatment plans in nutritional psychiatry. Someone may need to exclude gluten. Someone may not tolerate dairy. I also, that's the first thing. The second thing, it's always the source, a processed loaf of uh, bread from the supermarket that is highly shelf-stable and full of preservatives is very different from an artisanal um, loaf of sourdough bread, which also has a fermentation process involved. A, um, uh, you know, so, so I think the, the, the source of dairy becomes important as well. Um, the, for example, you know, grass-fed dairy is thought to be a better source because of it being from cows that are grass-fed. So just thinking about things like that becomes important. Yeah. And what about essential oils? I have one of my children struggles with focus and I've tried vetiver and I'm not really sure if it's wor- if it has worked, but how do you feel about that? You know, I think if it's, it's not something that's harming a child, I am very, very open to solutions that don't harm. And nutrition, unless there's a food intolerance, an allergy, um, uh, or condition like celiac disease, there's no harm in trying different nutrients in food. And similarly, with, if it's, an, uh, if it's an, uh, you know, an oil that the child maybe is responding to or they're enjoying and is helpful, my feeling is why not? Uh, certainly, you know, the, 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 there's a whole body of research, not my expertise, but a whole body of research on using oils and fragrances and the aromas to help with symptoms as well. Great. And also, you know, I think having a child with um, some special needs can can be really overwhelming. And so we talked about easy ways to to change the diet, but how can parents deal with feelings of shame or guilt if they can't stick to that diet 100% all the time? You know, I really feel like like we should kind of stop beating ourselves up because we all do the best that we can. And um, I talk about the one of my principles and pillars in nutritional psychiatry is the 80-20 rule, where, you know, we try our best 80% of the time and there might be the 20% of the time where things are not perfect, life is not perfect. But trying to then compensate the next time at the next meal or the next snack or the next day is how we need to be thinking about it rather than sort of, you know, languish in, in that regret and discomfort, because that's not good for your brain. It's not good for your child. Your being upset doesn't help the situation. So I think finding that sense of balance for each one of us is important. Yeah. And are there any tips that you have to, for parents to save time or make the, the meal prep process easier, just getting healthy meals on the table and into the lunchbox easier? Absolutely. I think batch cooking and meal prep is key. So whether it's, you know, on a Sunday, preparing a whole lot of veggie sticks for the week, putting them in uh, either those reusable silicone bags or BPA-free plastic bags or the lunchbox, whichever is easier for you, making, making homemade hummus, you know, it's two or three ingredients and flavors that your child likes, uh, making interesting things like a beet hummus or a carrot hummus. It's increasing the amount of veggies you're giving them, but in an interesting form that feels to them like a little dip that they can put their celery sticks into, having things like nut butters in the fridge that you can uh, add a little bit to their lunchbox and also serve, you know, encourage them to eat veggies with it, something that balances it, balances it up for them. The other thing that I think we don't do enough of 
is use the freezer. So if your child does eat eggs, you can do mini frittatas. Um, you make them in a cupcake can, and once they cool, freeze them and use them during the week for your lunches or for breakfast or for a snack. That's nutritious. You know, if the child consumes eggs, it, you can add in veggies and other flavorings to that. Um, that also improves their nutrition status. So things like that become key, as well as you know, prepping things like little chia puddings as snacks or as a breakfast. Um, anything that you can do that makes you know the run of your day easier will help you. Yeah, those are great ideas. I I personally like using my crock pot, so I can just set it and forget it. And yeah, dinner's always on the table. Time. Yeah. Absolutely. And so Dr. Nadu, you know, I was preparing for this interview and I was looking for other providers that do what you do. And it doesn't really seem like there's many. So what can parents do when they, they want to go this route of nutritional psychiatry? Is Are there other providers? Should they work with a nutritionist, for example? You know, this is a very new uh, cutting edge field. And part of the spirit of what I am doing in bringing this field forward in the United States is to help train other providers. And it's, it's one, of the, one of the ways that I'm spending my time and energy. But we don't yet, and we're not at the point of having a referral system or a way to, uh, to really, on a, on, a, on a large scale level, share, share enough of it. And, and that's something I feel strongly about. And I feel that we need more solutions. And part of what I'm doing is helping uh, to spread the word and grow the field. Yeah, and so f- so for parents, should they reach out to someone who specializes in nutrition who can help them kind of cover that area and then work with a regular provider who specializes in ADHD? I really can't say that that would be the solution uh, because individuals who uh, study you know, just nutrition or dietetics are not trained in mental health. Um, and individuals who are prescribers in mental health may not have the nutrition background. And that's why I'm saying that, you know, it would be probably uh, not the best thing for me to say to do that because you don't have individuals with that integration of training. And that's why I'm saying that I'm, you know, working to really grow this field uh, and train more providers and create programming around that. And so we'll link to your book, This Is Your Brain on Food, in the show notes. But tell me, what are some of your favorite recipes for parents in the book? Absolutely. So I love the uh, miso glazed sweet potatoes, one of my favorites. I um, like the cauliflower uh, rice. Uh, uh, There's a turmeric-infused cauliflower rice because it's a great way to include your veggies, introduce children to new spices that are not spicy but flavorful and good for their brain and body plus you can add in veggies or meat or whatever you want to that um, I like the um, for those who eat seafood uh, there's a great fish stew in there I was thinking about what you said about a crock pot there's probably a way to adapt that to use using in the crock pot and a good way to get in some omega-3s for the children uh, plus some some veggies and and other things um, so there, there are quite a few that, that, uh, that those are the ones that, that I, and I of course love the, um, sort of the alternatives to dessert, like the banana ice cream uh-huh. is a great way to think about just replacing ice cream that's processed. And you can even make it a chocolate flavor by using, um, natural uh, cacao that is, um, rich in, in, in flavanols that are great for the brain. 
Great. Well, and so where can listeners go to learn more about you and your work? Absolutely. So I, you can go to my website and subscribe to my newsletter where you get all my most recent activities at umanaidumd.com. Um, buy my book because if that's of interest to you, there's a chapter on ADHD that's available at all major retailers. It's called This Is Your Brain on Food. And follow me on social media where I'm always putting out the most recent research and offering helpful tips. And that's at D-R-U-M-A-N-A-I-D-O-O. Great. Well, Dr. Naidu, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks so much. Pleasure to talk to you. Wow, that was a great interview with Dr. Naidu. She had so much great insight, so definitely be sure to pick up her book to learn more. If you found this episode helpful, I'd love it if you could go into Apple Podcasts and leave a review and a rating so that we can reach more people. I'm Julie Revelant, and thank you for listening to Food Issues. You can connect with me on julierevelant.com and on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.